something I, I thought about and thought about kind of regularly, actually, over the years, is how much church life influences you, especially when you're young, when you're little. I remember growing up in church since 1975. You remember that far back? Some of you weren't even around then. 1975, and I had a good friend. It was my best friend by the name of Kurt, and Kurt and I um, did, did everything together. I mean, we literally did a life together. We lived down the street from me, went to the same church together. The whole, he's my brother. He's really my brother. And um, I was thinking about all the things we used to, you know, get in trouble for. <laughs> you know, some of y'all can't relate to that at all. But, uh, yeah, uh, even though I was a, I'm a preacher, I wasn't then. Amen. Let's put it that way. We got in trouble quite a bit. And, you know, really, um, a lot, large part of my growing up years, I wasn't serving God but I was in the house of God. I knew he was real. I knew that church was important. I knew um, that the word of God was actually, the, the Bible was actually the word of God and it was true, but I wanted to live my life. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And, um, and so did he. And so we, we kind of sold our wild oats, even got arrested together. I mean, when I said do everything together, everything together. And, um, and, um, but what's interesting to me now is that here we are together all these years later and we talk here and there and we're both serving God with all of our hearts. He loves God with all his heart. I love God with all my heart today. <clears throat> Which cannot be anything other than what the Bible says. If you train up a child in the way he should go, when he's older, he won't depart from it. And I'll tell you the truth is being raised in the house of God, don't tell me that it doesn't make an effect on you and your family. It makes a lasting forever eternal effect. I go back to all the kids I went to, went to, went to church with and even um, for a season I went to a Christian school. Actually, this is the school that was there at the church for a little while I went there. And, um, and uh, all the people I've, I've, I've known over the years I would say probably 85 to 90% of them, even though they were all hell raisers back in the day, are all serving God today because they were trained up in the way they should go. And when they get older, even though it may look like they depart, they will not depart from the things of God. Somebody say amen to that. And I was thinking about the teaching from last week that I gave you, and I hope you all enjoyed that. If you didn't get that, go over it. It's free. It's online. And that was the teaching that we're, we're, we're now moving into a, a new year, coming up here in just a couple of months, into 2022. Remember, with God, there's numeric value. There's pictorial to also what he gives the numbers. Um, they have meaning and spiritual significance. And, um, but what happened was just recently we got done with Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, which uh, meant it's God's new year. So beyond January 1st, God has his new year, which he just got about less than a month ago. And um, that new year is the Hebrew new year, 5782. 5782. So we said the 80s are back. Come on, somebody say amen. And 80 means, is, is means mouth, which it, we say it's the decade of the mouth, that our mouth is really going to matter in the next eight years uh, that we're in this decade. And then <clears throat> two has a value. By the way, we're moving into 2022. So now we have three twos that we're moving into in January 1st. So 
there's a significant merging together of 5782 and 2022 and we said that the word or the the letter actually the number is a, is actually a letter like the roman numerals are letters you have v i l m c that kind of thing uh, and they mean a certain type of number same thing with 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 the hebraic um, number system and so the the the, the actual letter or word for the number 2 is the word pay p e y pay and it actually is the pictorial of a tent. And it means a habitation or the house of the Lord, the tent of God. Which means God is putting significance back on his house in the 80s. Somebody say amen. The 5780s uh, of this decade. It's time for God's people to begin to get back into the house of God and back into the things of God. The title of my message this morning is Church Makes a Difference. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. <clears throat> Thank you for your anointing, Lord God. Thank you for your, your, your spirit that's strong in this place today. Thank you for revelation knowledge to flow freely, Lord God, from your pulpit, this place, Lord God, into the hearers, I pray. Those watching us, Father God, as well, online, God bless them. May they receive in Jesus' name. Everybody said a big amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, I was thinking about this uh, Saturday about... <clears throat> I'll brag about this church for just a second, but how much of a blessing this church has been in this community uh, for the last 22 years. Whoa, did I say 22 years? 22. Come on, someone say amen. And, um, and we have been. We have been a blessing uh, majorly. I'm not saying I personally am that blessing, but our church has been that blessing. And, and when I say that, I say that with some humility, but one of the things I thought about was the fact that we have seen so many people get married in this church, of which I would say probably over 100 marriages have happened in this church, if not more than that. Matter of fact, we just had another marriage yesterday from a couple of our members yesterday got married, uh, um, and, and um, we're excited for them. But the truth of the matter is, is that many of these people met their mate right here at Faith Builders. They met their mate right here at Faith Builders. And I thought about all the people that, um, that are here now, praise God for that, that are still serving God. Then I thought about all the people that met their mate here at Faith Builders that no longer go to Faith Builders. You know, there's something about going through pictures and all the old pictures, and we've been doing that lately um, because our, our 30th is coming up, a celebration of our, of our 30 years of, of full-time ministry. And we're going through all these different pictures. Thank you. We're going through all these different pictures. And, it, you know, I don't like going through pictures because it makes me sad. You think it would make you happy? I don't like to see my kids when they're small because it's like, oh man, you can never get that time back. You know, it's hard. I also look through church pictures. And I go, they're not here no more. They're not here anymore. They're not here anymore. They're backslidden. They're back in the world. They lost their mind. You know, all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you see a lot of people that have been here for a long time too. But it seems like more than not, most people from 15, 20 years ago are no longer here than they are here. And there's a reason for that. Sometimes God calls them on. God calls them to different places. Other times they just miss the mark. And I started thinking about all these people. I started thinking, man, they got married. Hey, they met their mate here, got married here, and some of them have talked terrible behind their back, behind my back, about me and about this church. 
I think every time they wake up in the morning, they see their children, they say, thank you, Lord, that you sent Pruitt to Milwaukee because had you not sent Pruitt to Milwaukee, I'd have never met my wife. Had I not met my wife, I never had my children. Thank you for that round of applause. I'll take it. <laughs> Amen. I hear, I, I, I see things all the time. I think, where is that loyalty? Where is that sense of, I'm going to be here for them because they were here for me? Amen. And so I think all the time about this kind of stuff, but maybe you don't, but I, I as a pastor, I'm seeing a little bit differently. All right, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you who you are. You are not just a Christian. You are not just a believer. You are not just a child of God. You are the church. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the church. And God has uniquely placed you into a local body of believers that becomes a family to you. In some cases, church is more of a family to you than your own family. It's like you find your tribe. You got your tribe. Now you know who you belong to, who you're supposed to be involved with. And I say that, and I don't say that because we're not supposed to love our family. Of course we love our family. That's important to us. But I, I'll say this. I was just on the phone with my dear friend. He's happens to be a minister of the gospel. And he said, I trust you more than most of my family. I trust you more. That's hard. I mean, that's actually a compliment to me. But I trust you more than my family. And it's important to think about this, that our family members sometimes are more close in church than they are in our actually bloodline. And since each of us are the church, it's as though we've merged all our churches together and gave it a name. In other words, you are the church. The building's not the church. It's important, but it's not the church. You are the church. And it's like all these little churches, praise God, <laughs> decided, you know what? I think it would be better for us if we went ahead and um, merged together. Let's all merge these small churches together, call you and me, and we'll, we'll give it a name and we'll call it Faith Builders. And now what we'll do is we'll come together and we'll share of our resources, we'll share of our talents, we'll share of our time to achieve a kingdom goal in which that we bring Jesus Christ to the whole region of the gospel of Jesus to our city. Somebody say amen. Because we recognize we're better together than we are apart. We recognize we have more strength together than we do individually. We recognize that God uses us in a, in a dynamic way that we can't be used when we're by ourselves or alone. In the book of Matthew, when asked by Jesus, who do men say that I am? So he, they said, well, some say you're you know, Jeremiah or you're Elijah or you're one of the prophets. And they didn't discern who, de, who Jesus actually was. And Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this sparked something in Jesus because he recognized there's something here of value and not only that, but something here of meat and, and revelation. And this is what it says in Matthew 16, 17. Jesus answered Peter, Named Simon, and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's so much power in this, but let me just say this church, the church that you go to, should first and foremost be a place of revelation. 
It ought to be a place because he said, flesh and blood is not revealed, but I'm going to build my church right there on that revelation. In other words, he's saying, the church you belong to is going to be a place that you receive revelation from God, week in and week out. It should not be, come on, just a, a, a few points and a couple poems and, and, and say, this is how you do your life. That's not what I'm talking about, self-help stuff. I'm talking about a revelation where you go, my God, I see something here I've not quite ever seen before. And I know people tell me all the time in this church, they go, my God, I never saw it like that before. That's called revelation. Everybody say revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is light where it was once dark, where you couldn't see before, but now you can. The word of God becomes, the, the revelation of the word of God becomes a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And now I see what God expects. Now I know what God wants. It's like a light bulb. And, the, and when you see the, uh, I don't know what's coming to mind, the, the, what's the coyote? Uh, and Roadrunner. And the coyote, right? And that, that, that coyote is always coming up with ideas. Every time he has an idea, what happens? The light bulb goes over his head. Y'all didn't see that. Unfortunately, it wasn't good revelation because he got killed every single time. But, but he had a new idea, praise God. That's what revelation really is. It's, it's coming up with something fresh and new. You can read the same scripture, but somehow today it speaks to you differently than it did last week. Come on, church. Everybody say Revelation. Notice where the church is to be placed. He said, upon that revelation, I will build my church. He said, you're Simon now. You're Simon before you mentioned that, but now you are Peter, a rock that can't be broken, that can't be shaken. And upon that revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, that Jesus doesn't strategically put the church in the most nicest places in society. I'm not talking about just geographically, I'm talking about spiritually. But what does he put it? He strategically places the church at the gates of hell, right where all the action's at. Somebody say amen. And I'm here to tell you, if it wasn't for the church, so many more would be going to hell this morning, but because the church stands up and raises up God's people. Come on, they're standing in the way. They can't just flood into hell, but the church says, no, I oppose the gates of hell. We're not here to be fluffed and puffed up. We're not here for the love boat. We're here on a battle cruiser, and it's time for God's people to begin to mature and stand up and be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ and quit coming to church saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. You're so fat, you can't even get off your couch and get to church. We'd be waddling at church. Can't hardly get any more in us. It's time for us to exercise what's been given to us. Also notice Jesus said, I will build my church. Whose church? His church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. The church was not your idea. The church isn't the, certainly not the world's idea. The church wasn't my idea. This isn't my, faith bill is not my idea. This is something he put inside me for, before the foundation of the world. This is something he already purposed inside me. I'll get to that in just a moment. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is his church he's building. He's the shepherd, but I'm the under shepherd. 
So he gives me authority, but only as he leads. If I decide to take the church in the wrong direction, I, my authority is gone because he's still got to lead his church. You know how close Jesus is to the church? I'll tell you how close he is. That when Paul, his name was Saul at the time, like Peter's name got changed from Simon to Peter. Saul was, was, a, um, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, the Bible says. He was a devout uh, Pharisaical man. And, um, and uh, he was going around from town to town to persecute, call Christians out because he believed it was heresy. I'm gonna call him out and he called him out to put me in prison them or to have them stoned to death. This was the kind of man that Saul was before he was Paul that would write two thirds of our New Testament before he, was, before, he was, um, before he was converted to Jesus Christ. And so he's now on the road to Damascus, the Bible says, and on the road to Damascus, he's on his way to persecute more Christians, have them prison, torn from their families, have them stoned to death that they won't deny their faith. This is who he was. He was, a, he, was a, he was Osama bin Laden of his day. He was the terrorist. He, he was this. And, um, and Jesus came to him and appeared to him. And the power of the, of the Holy Spirit knocked Saul down off of his horse onto the ground and blinded his eyes where he could not see. And Jesus speaks and says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Let me just say something to you. Paul, Saul, his name was, he never even met Jesus that we're aware of. So how would he able, how could he even, and Jesus wasn't even on earth, he was in heaven. So how could Jesus say, you're persecuting me? Because when you persecute his people, when you persecute his church, he takes it so personal that's as if you're persecuting him because he is the head of his church. And I've never met one head on the body that didn't feel the pain of the rest of the body. So this is his church. He has intimate relationship with his church. He's not even talking about his people individually right now. He's talking about his collective, his, his mosaic, his his bringing people together from all parts of the world and calling it something called the church. He's so intimately detailed with everything about that. And look, I'm, I'm here to tell someone this morning, Jesus is still building his church today. He didn't just do it 2,000 years ago and stop. He's still building it today because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you see him doing yesterday, he's still doing today and plans to do for your future. Somebody say amen. Why is Jesus still interested in building his church today? Because his concept is and always has been a team effort in receiving and I would say this, not, I'll say this way, in reaching the world with his gospel. It is and always has been a team effort. The church is his team. That's why I'm not, I'm not going to listen to you bad mouth the church. I know there's wrong stuff in the church we need to deal with. I know there's bad things that happen in church. We need to deal with all that. But I'm on team church. I still believe in her. She's 2,000 years old and she's still beautiful. Somebody say amen. The older she gets, the better she gets. The first thing Jesus did in starting his earthly ministry was to build up his team. Was to build up what? The church. 
No one had seen anything like that before, not quite like this before, where Jesus is now the pastor of a church of 12 and it would begin to grow and grow. In three and a half years, it would be the most biggest mega church you'd ever seen in your entire life. He had an incredible huge following. Not a building per se, but he was building his church which is his network, the ecclesia, the called out ones to network together as one body on earth. And Jesus understood that one can put a thousand to flight, but he understood the word that said, but two can put what? 10,000 to flight. What can happen when you get 12? Thousands upon thousands of the enemy can be sent on flight to flight and thousands upon thousands of the angels of God can come in flight to your assistance. He understood the power of unity and bringing people together because it brought so much more force and power in it. Jesus is the son of God, yet he never worked alone. He might have to work through being alone, but was always with the idea, he said, hey, pray with me. I need you to pray for me. He understood, I need the church to back me up. But he ended up being alone where it was just him and God. Thank you, Jesus, that we still have a relationship with Almighty God, but when no one else backs us, our God will still back us up. Come on, somebody. And Jesus understood, I have to have a team. And he said, I'll get, I'm going to get my disciples. He got 12 disciples. And then after that, there were 70 disciples. Then after that, there were 500 disciples. That's not including the people that followed him. Those are 500 committed members of his church that was a part of what he was doing on planet Earth. So Jesus understood the team effort. It's never me, myself, and I. I'm not an entity or island unto myself. That's a lie of the enemy. And that's how the enemy picks off most people. And brings, brings torment and problems and situations in your life. Now, I'm going to do something. This is Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I'm going to read through a few of these, these verses here. So hang with me because it's important. I'll, I'll, I'll describe the importance in just a moment. It says this. This is Paul writing to the church at Roman, Roman, uh, Rome. rather, And he calls it the book of Romans. He says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria, that you may receive her in the, in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her whatever business she has need for you, of you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, excuse me, um, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks but also all the churches of the Gentiles. He giving thanks to the churches that backed him up. He needed that. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, um, our fellow worker in Christ. Greet Stachys, my beloved, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Uh, greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, uh, who are in the Lord. Greet uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa, uh, who are, have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Perses, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Uh, greet Asyncritus. Uh, uh, Phlegian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philogus uh, and Julia, 
and Nerus and his sister and Opalus um, and all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. The church of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you had to do that in this? Have we had to do that in this church? Yes, we have had to do that in this church because it's for the good of the whole. But their own belly, but but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. We have an adversary church that has to be put under our feet daily. Someone say amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertidus, uh, who wrote this epistle, um, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. Cordus, uh, a brother, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I read all that, and people weren't about snoring right there. You're all ready to go to sleep. But the truth is, it's in your Bible, which makes, makes it the holy writ of God. It's there on purpose to be understood and acknowledged. These people were all known by name from the apostle Paul. He put it in the letter on purpose. And the Bible says, the Bible says that the word of God was given for inspiration by the Holy Spirit. So the Lord inspired those words. They become life to us. Paul wrote those names down that I can barely pronounce today in our modern day language, but he put them down because he knew those people intimately by name and wanted to make sure they, they were thanked for backing him up, him up. Those people were all a part of the churches that he went to to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus said, the world will, will know that you are of me by your love one for another. They'll know you're of me and they'll know you're my disciples by, by your love that you have one for another. Question, how can we love one another without first knowing one another? And how can we know one another if we forsake the assembling of ourselves together? And there is a massive push in the spirit by demonic forces to get the church to shut its door. And if it can't do it by a ruling out of a court somewhere, it'll just do it by people making decisions to stay home and not be a part of the assembling of yourselves together. And when we don't assemble ourselves together, we are in direct disobedience to the throne of God because he said to assemble yourselves together even more... Now, I, as you see the day approaching, now you get on Google right now and you'll see everything, last days, last days, last days, last days. Everybody believes, and everybody wants to talk about the last days, but they don't want to talk about what the Bible says to do, when, what to do, what to do, what to do when you see the last days. Because the feeling is, store up my toilet paper, store up my canned goods, get my gun, come on somebody, make sure it's clean and loaded, praise God, and me and my family will be over here secluded by ourselves. The Bible says when you see the day approach, you are to not do that. You are to assemble yourselves together even more. Because you and I are the light of the world. 
And if you put the light under a bushel, men can't come to the light. But when the light is bright during a time of darkness, during an era of darkness, men and women and children will come to the light. Come on, somebody. And by the way, we have a constitutional right to assemble in this great nation of ours. And nobody can take that away. It is in your constitution. But if people don't learn to stand up. I lost too many of you there. Because you thought church was social clubs and ice cream. Fluffy and. Listen, church, there is an insidious evil agenda to remove people's rights and freedoms if we don't learn to stand up for them. And the church at large will begin to lay down because they think you're supposed to be passive. We are not to be passive. No, no, no. I'm not saying we're to be physically aggressive. That's not what I'm saying. But in the spirit, we get aggressive. And we don't back down. And right here would be a good spot to talk about this told my elders I want, I want to talk about something real quick and that is about all of our frontline health workers in particular that I've had to help with religious exemption letters because they believe it is against their religious uh, understanding of God's word to take this vaccine and I told you where I stood with the vaccine I'm not talking about the vaccine I, I, I'm upset that there's so much confusion about it because we don't know who to believe. This bothers me because it shouldn't be like that in America. We should have really, you, you argue about opinions, but you don't call each other liars to the point where nobody can believe anybody anymore. I'm not talking about the vaccine. I told you earlier, if you feel led to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. I'm not a doctor, but I will tell you this. Nobody, but nobody should force another human being to put something in their body, whether it be America or anywhere else. And now you see the agenda is those who don't get the vaccine are the enemy. And a lot of Christians are not getting the vaccine because they believe it's against, especially if it has fetal tissue, not all of them do, but if it has fetal tissue in it, then we, we don't believe in abortion. And I have watched. Where do you stand, Pastor? I, I'll tell you where I stand. I don't get, I'm not getting the vaccination. I'm not going to get it. That's not, that's not, I, by the way, I got Corona already, which means I got antibodies in me that are stronger than any vaccine on earth. Six to 13 times proven, six to 13 times stronger than any vaccine on earth. And it didn't kill me. It made me, I was sick. I didn't like it. My family was sick. They didn't like it either, but it didn't kill me. Like the news said it was going to kill me. It didn't kill me. Did you know there's only a fraction of a percent of people that die and mostly are old age and they die of other complications having to do with Corona. Can we just get to the truth? And now we got the, they call these women and men, these RNs and LPNs and workers at the front uh, doing all the registration for all the hospitals and, and, and all of the clinics. And, and they called them last year, they called them heroes. These are our heroes. And these people went to work every day not knowing what they were getting, didn't know if they was going to hurt them, affect their children. Went to work every day to care for others. This bothers me and cared for others with a mask on their face, did every six feet. They did all this stuff they were told to do. They did it right. 
And now they're losing their jobs and now being made out to be villains because they refuse to put something in their body that they feel has not yet been tested thoroughly enough. In America, in America, what happened to our freedoms? And I just want to say to those of you, because these people are, they're paying the ultimate price. You and I are just talking about it. We don't, we disagree with that. Our jobs maybe aren't dealing much about it. But they are literally losing their livelihood, their careers, and the love of their life. I talked to these nurses when I was in the hospital. They said, we love what we do. These were not Christians, by the way. They knew I was, but they weren't. And I, this one nurse said, she's 25, she goes, I want to have a baby. I don't know what that might do to me, my chance to have a baby. I don't know. Not enough tests have been done. She has that concern. It may not be a, a, a concern, it shouldn't be a concern at all. I don't know anything about that. But that's her concern. She shouldn't be told you're going to lose your job if you don't get this vaccine in your body. We're losing our freedoms because we're not standing up. So I want to say to those of you, my, my exemption letter to you, and by the way, those watching me, I can't give exemption letter to everybody, only those that go to our church. Because I, I only can do it for those I pastor. And I'm sorry, but that's just the way that it is here. So, but I've given, most of them have worked. They've had to appeal it and they've gotten the, they've gotten the exemption and a couple, have, it has not worked for them. And I'm thinking, what are these people going to do? Now, I'm way off track, y'all. Now, now I'm probably getting in the flesh, and I don't want to get in the flesh. Let me see. But I'm thinking, what are these people going to do when we have thousands of these people no longer working, and we got people, and I feel bad for the sick people that show up at the hospitals and have to wait hours and hours and hours and hours and might die because they don't have enough help. <laughs> it's not like you can just pull an RN somewhere. They have to be educated. And I feel like they're going to get hired back. I feel like this is the ultimate test. And I feel like God is going to honor those who stood up for their rights and said, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. Don't you walk out of here and say, Pruitt said, don't take the vaccine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Pruitt said everybody should have a chance to make a decision for themselves. And it be honored. I'm the same guy that would hate it if somebody on the street corner started hurling all kinds of things at me and saying the, the, the nastiest thing about our Jesus they possibly could. Every, I would hate that. But they have a right to do that. Just like I have a right to say what I need to say. Our argument needs to be better. The power that we, we have from God needs to be stronger than the power of the world. But don't shut them down. They're only speaking what's in their heart anyways. But I found this out. If you want to look this up for yourself, I want to give this to you. It's, I, I, I decided to do a little digging for myself. Uh, we have a law in Wisconsin called Wisconsin Freedom of Conscious, Conscious Clause. Wisconsin Freedom of Conscious Clause and Freedom of Religion. Look it up. You have more rights than you think you do. They have no right even to ask you why. They don't have any legal uh, any legal um, right to even ask you why. If you say... I, it's against my conscience, it's against my religious belief, that should be enough. Why do we have to prove to you how devout we are to our Jesus? Or about anything we do. It shouldn't be like that, folks. This is all an incredible way to try to, to I look at it this way, it's a big test to see how sheepish people will be in following the wrong master. So, Paul in Romans was listing out these men and women, named them one after the other, 
These were the difference makers, not because of talent, but because of their labor of love for the church. And he was so inspired by how much love they had for the people of the church that he said, make sure you greet them. Make sure you tell them thank you. Make sure any names are one by one. Church, the church doesn't need more talented singers. We don't need more talented musicians and organizers. The church needs commitment. The church needs faithfulness. The church needs a heart that's willing to serve, motivated out of love for their God and for the people that they serve. You know what else the church needs? The church needs to be well-funded. We should never have to beg for a dime it should come through the tithes and offerings of God's people. And I wrote this down. I thought about this a couple days, a few days ago, actually. And I thought, this is incredible. I never quite saw it this way. He said, in other words, he said, when things go wrong, let, let, he said, um, the, the, the wrong question to ask when things are going wrong in your life is, why is this happening in my life? The right question should be, who's rebuking the devourer from my life on my behalf? Because God says, I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf when you are a tither and one who gains offering into my house. Now, you don't like it? Go to Malachi chapter 3 and rip it right out of your Bible. Take a big old uh, Sharpie and just go ahead and just, just so you can't see it no more. By the way, my wife and I have counseled people. That when we counsel them about their sin, we, we said, let me show you in your Bible. And we opened their Bible. They had taken a black Sharpie and there's verses they didn't like. They just went ahead and covered them right up so they didn't look at them no more. How in the world do we get a chance to say that we're going to just make a decision what God says is right and wrong? Everything God says is right. You just don't like it. It hits you wrong. And as I'm talking about right now, you don't like this. You don't like a preacher telling you the truth. But guess what? You're commanded to love me. Hallelujah. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. No, no. When things go wrong, don't ask why is this happening. Ask who's rebuking. Because if I don't have God rebuking on my behalf, I got no chance. It will disrupt everything in my life, my family, my finances, my health, everything. So if you're not doing it, get back in it. Or start it if you haven't started before in your life. Listen, God made you to function within his purpose and he knows your name and the intimate details of your life. He knows everything about you. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. Everybody say the Lord is good. So whatever he says that even makes us feel bad, it's still what? Always gonna be good because everything God does is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble is what God is and he knows those who trust in him. 1 Corinthians 8.3 but if anyone loves God, this one is known by God. John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. Amen? By the way, the church is the sheepfold. We're his sheep and the church is a sheepfold and Jesus is the true shepherd over the sheep. And if Jesus is the true shepherd over the, the church, the sheepfold, that means there, there's no chance for deception to come into our life. Why? He knows me, and I know him. I know his voice, and another I will not follow. But now look at Jeremiah 1, verse 1. Before I formed you in the womb, God said, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart for a specific task, purpose, and mission. That's what that means. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before you came into the earth, before you were ever conceived by your mother and father, I already, I already gave you purpose. Your purpose and destiny was realized by the Father before you ever came into the world. As a matter of fact, you can't come into the world unless you have purpose and destiny. Remember, what, how do we know that? Jesus said, for this purpose, I have come into the world. So Jesus didn't just come through because God thought it was a good idea. He came with a purpose. Of course, we know his purpose was the ultimate sacrifice to be, to be, to be carried out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew his purpose. Let me make this statement. You were never meant to do life alone. I need you. You need me. 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 12, for as the one for as the body rather is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? No. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, <laughs> where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? By the way, when I did get corona, um, and even still a little bit now, um, I lost about 80% of my smelling. I could smell, I put it right up to my nose, I could smell it, but other than that, I couldn't do it. And then uh, I probably lost about 50% of my taste. So how many knows that your smelling has a lot to do with your tasting? So they accompany one, one another. If you can't smell right, it don't taste right. Right? So I can't, it can't be all tasting without the smelling. And it certainly can't be all smelling without tasting. I got to feed myself, right? But I thought this was interesting because I had to, uh, my wife is um, going to be seeing um, her mother soon. And, and, um, uh, and they wanted me, they always want me to cook something for them and bring up to them. So I cooked a few things for them. And I had to, I had to get, I, I thought this was a great analogy. I had to rely on my wife. Smell this. I can't smell it. Normally it fills the whole house. I can, it's all you can smell. I can't smell it unless I'm right up on it. And I said, now taste this. Does it taste right? She goes, yeah, it tastes right. I said, it don't, it don't taste right to me. And I realized it's because I don't have my taste quite back yet, right? So it's going to taste a little bit weird. My point is, is that I didn't have to have all the gifting. I could rely on somebody else. This is the church. This is the church. This is why it's so important that you come to the house of God. We love that you're watching online, but at some point you want to come because what you want to do is you want to be with others so you can rely. So when you're hurting, you can rely on somebody else where they're strong. Where you're weak, they're strong. Where they're strong, you're, you're, you're weak. Or where you're, how's it going? Well, you're strong, they're weak. And you begin to rely on one another. But then it says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Okay. But he says, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the heads of the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. 
okay? And those members of the body which we uh, think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. So you might think of your bicep as being a great part of your body you want because it brings strength, right, to your arm. But you know what? If you got a messed up, if you got a messed up elbow, it seems like a weaker thing, but it will affect your bicep. It'll affect your whole entire arm. Interestingly enough, you stub your toe in the middle of the night, guess what happens? Your whole body feels that pain. Amen? Y'all looking at me like you ain't never... And I know it's true. You're just embarrassed because you cuss all the time. Every time you do it, you <laughs> hopping around. And it ain't tongues, praise God. It's cuss words, too, coming out of your mouth. Amen. So we bestow greater honor on those that are, seem to be greater, right? And he said, and on our unpresentable parts, they have greater modesty, but on our presentable parts, they have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When's the last time we've been doing that? If, when's the last time we felt the pain of somebody else or the rejoicing of somebody else? We don't do that if we don't collectively come together. Now, are the body of Christ, are, are members individually, okay? Ephesians 4, very quickly, there's one body, and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's not many ways to God. There's only one way to God through his son. Only one son, Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. And you have to say that in today's world because you never know. Christians think all kinds of crazy stuff today. And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipment of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. We're all coming together to become this perfect body to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine but by the trickery of men and the cunning craft of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love. So he's saying to us that we'll fall prey to deceitful men and evil people and evil agendas and we'll be deceived if we don't become that perfect man. If we don't come together as the body of Christ because what I can't think through, you can think through. What I haven't been warned by God, you're gifting. God warns you to tell the church. You warn the church. So it's, it's, everybody has a different function, but we all come together impossible to be deceived. Impossible to be taken by the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. This is his desire. Everybody come together to supply health, right, to one another according to the effective working by which every part does its share. What, what happens when we all come together? We become effective. When we're all disassembled or rather than assembled, impossibly effective. Impossible. We just don't have the strength. But now then it says it causes growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. I read that fast because we're out of time, but I, you can read it for yourself. But it's all there saying we actually will grow up. We become mature when we come together. Immaturity is staying away from the body. Maturity is coming together with the body. Which takes maturity because people are going to tick you off. People are going to rub you the wrong way. People are going to make you feel invited or not invited. And people are people. It happens. But it should never change the fact that God still ordered us to come together. And then we give grace to the people that hurt. And then when we hurt others, because we'll do it and we don't mean to do it, it will give us grace as well. Amen? All of us have something to offer with the gifts that God has given us. I close with this. The, the, man, the, the three men that were given the talents. One was given one to another two to another five. 
And he said, all right, I'll be back later. Guy comes back. He says, well, five, how many did you break? He said, I got 10. And you double. Wow, enter into my joy, enter into my kingdom. Enjoy your rest. Two, how many did you get? I got you two more. That's wonderful. Good job. One, how many did you get? Well, I got you your one. What, what do you mean you got one? What happened? Well, I took it and I buried it. I buried my gift. I buried my talent. I buried it because I was afraid that if I lost it, you would severely punish me. He said, you don't know who I am. You don't get it. I would have rather you took it and, and did the best you could and lost it than tell me you buried it because you were afraid of me. Now then, enter into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you starting to see the premise here? In other words, God's saying, I'm going to work with those who will begin to work with what I give them. Not just those who say, well, and by the way, some of you are more gifted than others. So you can fake it a little bit and you still ain't living your potential. So you may be faking it to others, but you ain't faking it to God. He happened to give you five talents, not two or one. So he's going to make you responsible for the five. Not look like you're doing good with two. Team work makes the dream work. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah.